Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Marissa True, and today we have a very exciting episode. I am joined by Cordell Broadus, otherwise known as Champ Medici. How are you today? What's up, Marissa? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am not bad whatsoever. I'm not sat there in Beverly Hills, which looks really lovely and green behind you. Um, so <laughs> tell me what you're up to today. Well, today um, I'm going to an event for Lior Cohen. Um, I'm here actually early and waiting on my mentor, Russell Simmons, who's late at the moment. Um, he always drills me about being on time. So right now I'm taking my victory lap in the car and just, you know, I'm going to tease him about being late, you know, because he, he's always on my head about being uh, being on time. It's very much a student becomes the teacher moment, wouldn't you say? Right, right, right. <laughs> So by virtue of introduction, you know, you are an entrepreneur, you're a creator, you're a collector, and perhaps most significantly, you created the Champ Medici Arts Fund uh, in partnership with the Tezos Foundation to support emerging artists. And I want to learn about that in due time. But first, I want to start the way we always begin our episodes, which is to understand your journey into Web3. Like, what was the moment that brought you into the fold or, you know, changed the way you saw digital creators um really 2000 i want to say 20 i was working on unreal engine and building games and stuff like that and you know from there i was meeting with kai henry who worked with phase clan at the time he mentioned the metaverse to me and then a week later nick adler who works on our team brought a deal from my father for crypto.com so you know, everybody in the room laughed when they were talking about NFTs and selling all these digital assets. And, you know, I just really honed in and did the research from there and just started to be a student and understand how the community works and was able to, you know, get into communities like the Board API Club, <clears throat> invest in Yuga Labs, consult for MoonPay, and just try to be the bridge for the culture in Web3. Because sometimes, you know, we're always late to the party and we're always just the talent. I wanted to make sure that we had a piece of the pie and we were part of, you know, the decisions that were being made and bringing in the cool factor. I wanted to focus on that. So you kind of wanted to enter the space on the ground floor and you were saying that, uh, you know, a part of this was because some of these deals were coming to your father. And for those who don't know, and I think it's a very small few, you know, your father is Snoop Dogg, the notorious and he is also known as Kazomo Medici, which is another prolific name in the NFT art world. So as you sort of entered this space, how much influence did your father have on the way you honed into this creator space? Or was it you that brought him into the Web3 fold? What did that look like? I mean, we work together. So it's like we're a team. You know what I mean? It's not me, it's we. And that's just how we work. Like, we got a 25 age difference. So we're able to get two different, you know, perspectives. And I think it's, you know, extremely important to work with someone who has the experience because I'm going off of my gut and me just having my post on the culture, but he has actual experience in this, you know, industry and business and, you know, having longevity and creating IP and, you know, Snoop Dogg is an IP if you really think about it. So 
he's been doing this before me. I just, you know, put it in terms where he was able to understand it and, you know, monetize in a way that's authentic to him. And so who were some of your other mentors in terms of, you know, leaning on the wisdom of those that have worked in these spaces before you? Um, Russell Simmons, for sure. Um, Tony Fidel, um, he's the co-creator of the, the iPhone and the iPod. Um, and just having these type of people in my corner and just asking them questions and, you know, reading their books, <clears throat> understanding who they were and what their journey took. And just knowing, you know, I have a lot of resources and a huge Rolodex that, you know, I could take advantage of um, and not be, you know, modest to, you know, make things happen and make connections happen. Because everything isn't about me. It's about the connection and furthering, you know, that person's brand and, and what they trying to build. And so when you first stepped into the blockchain creator space, what was it about NFTs that made you think this is really something? I know you mentioned that you wanted to make sure that you were kind of coming in on the bottom floor, but what was it that made you think this is something where I want to invest my time, my energy, and, you know, pull together those resources that you were just mentioning into something that's going to be the next one? Just because these artists already been selling NFTs, they just weren't NFTs. It's like mixtapes and CDs are NFTs. When you think about it, you're selling your content, your creative vision to a community that's loyal to you. And these, you know, assets that you're selling are physical, but they became digital to streaming and things like that. So now you're further removed to your from your community. So I just wanted to try to make it, you know, intimate again and make that experience for the fan and the the consumer more personal because streaming and all these things are you know furthering you from experiencing the artists so Mm -hmm. if you buy this nft you get to go to this show and get to go to this and that and it just makes you more you know close to to your artists who you love and who you've been supporting and, and and putting money in their pockets and helping them grow as an individual so it's like returning a favor. Right. So it's kind of allowing the fan base to connect with the creators that they've probably supported for a very long amount of time and feel like they sort of have a stake or like a, a, a piece of the game, if you will. So when we come to something like Tezos, which is very well known for its creator space, what was it about Tezos that caught your eye? Tell me how you you know, came to discover Tezos and what really convinced you that this is where you wanted to invest more time and energy? I got a team that's smarter than me and that knows a lot more than me. So when they brought it to me, it just made sense. You know, we aligned on a lot of the same visions and I think, you know, I want to just continue what I'm doing, like just being the bridge and connecting things that didn't exist before. So us creating this fund together is to help bring awareness to minority communities and uplift creators and bring diverse creators for us so that we can all just, you know, have a piece of the pie. Like I'm saying, ownership is key. Mm -hmm. And so talk to me about this mission to uplift, you know, emerging artists that perhaps don't necessarily get the same amount of representation that other artists have gotten, you know, in traditional 
art platforms, like say it's a gallery, a museum and so on. How do you come to discover where all of this talent is? Because, you know, you kind of, you really have to know where to look to find <laughs> but look, you got people like Russell Simmons. Who hey, can, what's up? You Who know, that? guide Hello. you and, and show you the way. Who's that? This is Marissa from Tezos. Oh, hey, Marissa. How Hi, Russell. you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Well, it's a pleasure to meet you. You're with the right man talking to Cordell. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I just learn from grace like him and, and try to keep you know, being you know what? I'm his, I'm his student, and I'm learning all the time. The second lease on life hanging out with him. So, like you said, there's sort of this two-way street when it comes to the mentor-mentee dynamic, like student and teacher and teacher to student. Right, right. For sure. And, and you got to have that. You got to have a mentor in this, in life, not even just business. So, I think, you know, we feed off each other just as much as I'm teaching him he's teaching me and just be learning from each other and creating a bond so then what are the sort of the values or the ethos or the principles that guide your work authenticity and just being in integrity and knowing someone is genuine because you know sometimes we can get into business with people who aren't morally aligned with how we are and I think a lot of people bypass that because the numbers and I think that's way more important just because the numbers will add up anyway. Exactly. Right. So it's saying integrity first. Mm -hmm. I think he knows that, you know, and that's a very special gift because we're talking about any of the industries I've been in. I mean, I've had 80 different licenses in fashion and made all these films and television and uh, financial service. And I've always encountered very successful people who would just bend the rules. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, I, I've been better off when I, when I bypassed those people. And when I made the mistake to get in business with them and it came to light, uh, extracting myself from them and, and protecting the integrity of the business became a, a full-time job. So it's always good to start out with people you really trust. I know that that's kind of an obvious thing to say, but it's not so obvious when you look at the actions of people and the choices that they make and the people they get in business with. That's just, I'm not I'm repeating the obvious, but it's, it's less obvious in terms of people's actions it's, than it is. It's true. I think it's because when you have the promise of wealth or the riches, you tend to get distracted from the obvious. And the fact that, you know, your principles will guide your way, which is very interesting when it relates to the NFT space, because I think a lot of people entered it at the beginning as a bit of a get rich quick scheme. While when it came to the arts world, it was more of a slow burn, like the value would be being created over time, which I think is where, you know, this integrity really kind of kicks in. So when it came to finding the artists that you wanted to uplift, who did you focus on? Who were the people that you wanted represented and why were they so special? I mean, it's the youth. It's diverse creators and people that look like myself. Like I said, we always late to the party. We never have a piece of the pie. We always late to the party. So if I can be representative and inspire well, people. Almost every creative here. industry in America and cultural um, moves mm -hmm. come from this community that looks like you. Mm -hmm. And so you always end up getting exploited. You're in the business, 
but you're the artist. Sometimes to have the artists and representing artists that look like you and understanding them and their culture and their core community is very important. It makes their work more accessible. You become a valuable leader and support system, not just the, the money or, or exploiter, but a partner. Because you know so much about the community. Oh, she, you know, it's, it's a fact. Cordell is a great leader. You know, he inspires the artists that he gets in business with. Mm-hmm. Right. So what we're talking about here is the fact that, like, in the traditional media industry, we're talking about a lot of appropriation of urban culture. We're talking about basically the exploitation of work of people that will never see the spotlight and never cash out in the way that, you know, the the top of the pyramid tend to cash out. And so it's about making sure that there are means for them to participate in something that is so powerful, which brings us to, you know, the Champ Medici Arts Fund. Can you tell me how that arts fund came to be? Tell me about the process of when that idea started and what it is today. The idea came up when we were in Singapore in uh, September. And then from there, we followed up and we ended up doing a dinner in December at Art Basel a few months later with the Rush Arts Fund. Um, And, you know, from there, we've been able to select multiple artists from all regions and it's a global mandate. So the beauty of it is we get to, you know, select artists from all across, everywhere around the world. You know, we looking at artists in Africa and, you know, continents like that. Um, And it's just been life changing for certain artists. For example, we got an artist named Uzumaki. She's from the Bronx. Um, And I've been a fan of her work for years. She does furniture, It's, it's furniture with fur. Mm-hmm. And she does these art installations with, you know, Complex Con and all these different cool cultural hubs. And I've always been a fan from far. So once this opportunity came about, I reached out to her instantly um, and she was on board. And at the time she was doing bad. She couldn't afford her rent. She couldn't, you know, do anything um, financially. And, you know, once she got her grant, she was able to find a place and find an art gallery to put her art in and she's she's been doing good ever since so that's that's the stuff that i like you know doing and if tezos can help amplify that that's that's amazing and on our end we want to bring more users to the blockchain and more you know wallets to to tezos so that's the beauty of it all it's a a beneficial relationship on both ends so I think in that sense, the Chant Medici Arts Fund goes well beyond the art. It's actually supporting the life of the artists and not just financially and not just in terms of their work, but, you know, their very well-being, which I think is a very noble mission. So, you know, the, the mil- it's, it's a million dollar fund. How does it work? Like how, like how do these artists get selected, funded, and then what comes out the other side of the engagement? We got a we got a whole team like it's a whole process. It's not like something just super easy. Um, so that's what I can say. And it's a it's a bigger team than myself. It's not just me. We got the Tezo side, Valerie, who's been extremely resourceful. Renee running point on everything. Shiv, who co-created this, um, the whole Gush Cloud agency. Um, it's a whole process. So we've been finding ways to get the word out more to the masses, not just through my socials, but 
you know, doing Twitter spaces and selecting people from there and finding art and having people send their usernames. Um, but for the most part, the first few artists have been selected um, just from our Rolodex and, and regions that we're familiar with. But we do want to expand to new regions and, you know, get the word out. And hold the Rush Foundation, Kehinde Wiley, and oh my God, it must be, the, if you take the top 10 black artists that emerged over the last few years, um, last, you know, 20 years, almost all of them showcased first at Rush. Mm -hmm. So we do have a deep, you know, my brother who's a supporter of this really has a deep uh, relationship with that community. You know, and their next steps, so what are they going to do now? They've all, you know, everybody's uh, done well and they're all starting to really be, you know, the Gary Russells. I mean, that's years ago, but it's still fairly recent. Those guys still need a next step. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, they're putting them in, in front of Cordell to decide, you know, how the, the youth might or how the, the next communities or uh, their, their new representations could look. Right. So in that, we're saying that in finding these emerging artists that have yet to really make the big leagues and connecting them or introducing them into a network with the people who have already made it, you can sort of bridge that gap and kind of it's the rising tide that the rising tide that raises all ships. Like you uplift all of them in the same process, just by association, just you know through the power of this rolodex that you mentioned. And when it's the same as well, I, the last thing I'll say because you know I'm just buttoning in, but. It's the same as the relationship between Cordell and myself. Mm. You know, there's a whole, a whole new frontier, whole new way of um, allowing people to see your expression. That these guys, you know, they're pretty rigid. You know, a lot of creative people, and once they found their, their niche, you know, to move them into a new space is, you know, it takes a minute. Mm -hmm. and, and, and these are guys who have made it, but they still have a long way to go, you know? I'm looking at people who, you know, just starting to really get their due process of what Torres and there's so many. Mm -hmm. uh, and my brother, you know, I want to get him on the advisory board and support, be a major support system because there's all those artists that need their next step. Right. And, um, and I think that tied to tying them and maybe collaborating with them and some of the younger artists, you know, I think that's, you know, that's what Rush Arts has done over the years. We've, our gallery really did showcase for the first time many. Mm -hmm. And if I get you a list, it'd be mind-boggling if you talk about the African-American art scene that just started to emerge mm -hmm. because, of course, they were suppressed for so long with so few. Right. But but it became, you know, what is what is new is still few, but but there are, they exist, you know. Right. The scores of them, you know, who have you know, made it to the next level. So uh, that's a space that wasn't inhabited by any people of color. Well, really. So it's this idea that just because they're hard to find doesn't mean that they aren't there and doesn't mean that the work isn't fantastic. And so it's about making sure that the artists who are really trying to make it have people who have come before them to give them that next step and show them the way in that regard. So it's, it's this mentorship path that you were mentioning the same way that you have this relationship with, with Cordell. Absolutely. That's what it's about. So then when it comes to, you know, the first cohort of artists, we're actually going to have Malachi Wright and Corianne Roberts on this show as well. We're going to tell us about their books. There we go. But, there we go. And you also mentioned Uzumaki Sepeda and her furniture collection. So tell me more mm -hmm. about this first cohort of artists. You said that you sort of drew from a network you already knew and wanted to support and uplift. But 
what's the you know what what's the thing that binds them all together i think they're young and they need an opportunity and they've been hustling for so long malachi been doing artwork uh, malachi she did my father's album i want to thank me in 2020 or 2019 <clears throat> and at the time he was like 16 17 so you know just to see somebody on the journey that long and just working hard and he's always been going viral on social media and all the, the rappers are posting and reposting his stuff and just seeing how you know on point he is but he just never had that big break so for us to be able to empower him that's 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 what it's about because when he gets bigger he's gonna remember that and he's gonna you know mentor somebody else exactly and and, and rinse and repeat and, and continue the blessing that he was blessed with mm -hmm. so i like that this was all built out of this mantra of paying it forward it's not about paying it back it's about making sure that you use the power that you've been granted to uplift the next person and the other interesting thing about this cohort is that it spans, you know, musical, digital, physical art. So there's a lot of representation that matters, not just in terms of, you know, what these artists look like and where they come from, but also in the medium of art. So how did you pick between, like, between the different mediums when it related to music or a digital piece or, you know, Uzumeka, like uh, Uzumaki's furniture? I think everything should just be cross-pollinated if you ask me. Like, I love playing video games and being immersed in those type of environments where everything is, you know, in front of you. And with the Oculus and all these new products that Apple is making, that's where this is all going. So if I could try to get ahead of that and have a little piece, you know, of what's being created and what's being innovated, you know, that's, that's happiness for me and success. I think it's also important to recognize that when people spoke of NFTs at first, they only spoke of digital art in very limited mediums, whether it was, you know, a digital piece or a video. And it was very difficult to help people understand that an NFT could be anything, even something that didn't exist on chain, even a physical piece of art. So when, when you first spoke to the artists and approached them with the idea of launching their first collections on Tezos, how did you help them come to understand the value of, you know, the blockchain? I gave, I gave everybody the same example of what Nipsey Hussle did with a mixtape called the, the Crenshaw mixtape. And what he did was, usually mixtapes are for free. He, you know, priced his mixtape at $100 and he printed physical copies. And with that came a ticket to his concert, an intimate ticket to his concert, where it was like just 250 fans. And then also doing something with his clothing line and just giving you all these perks to, you know, his ecosystem. And that was an NFT. He did that in 2013. So, you know, he was way ahead of his time. So I just, that was, that was the story I told all the artists and they all remember that and how he disrupted, you know, the music industry. Um, Jay-Z actually ordered a thousand copies um, when he, when he did that. And it was, it was trendsetting and it was innovative, but he was the one who did that. And that was, essentially an NFT, a physical copy of the music that gave you access to his 
shows into his clothing. Oh, Lord, Will, you want to slow down? <laughs> Yeah, they calling me Miss Daisy back here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad. But yeah, that's that's it. Right. Okay. So tell me more about the artist. Like we mentioned, we spoke of Valentine Wright. <laughs> we spoke of uh, Uzumaki Sepeda. Um, tell me more about some of the other artists that are in this first cohort. Who are they? What are they working on? I think it'd be better if they told you because I just selected them because they dope. And I want them to have a voice and, you know, let them speak and let the world know who they are. So when it came to bridging those artists and connecting them or introducing them into the realm of blockchain, like how did you find or what was your experience of working with different members of the Tezos ecosystem? I mean, everybody worked different, but it, you blessing somebody with a grant and you, you know, having them have deliverables or bringing people to the Tezos ecosystem, it's going to be a beautiful situation. It's a beneficial relationship too, at the end of the day. So I think everybody just came with a fun mentality and we figured out how it could work. Pairing people with the right person that knows the digital landscape, like everything is a process. So even with Malachi, like coming up with the two of America's most wanted idea, you know, because he has so many different ideas, the hip hop 50th anniversary or going in this direction. He didn't he didn't really know which direction to go. So really trying to hone it in on a specific, you know, part of the culture. And he focused on the West Coast culture mm-hmm. with Six Tupac and minutes. Snoop. So it, it was it was all them. I can't take credit on anything. It was just them honing it in. I was just being there to help guide and you know, comfort them and make them feel comfortable about doing some stuff they didn't know about, like blockchain. So you brought a lot of artists to Tezos and like introduced blockchain to them. But in your time in kind of getting to know the Tezos ecosystem and community, are there any artists that you discovered that were already there to begin with and should, you know, also be celebrated just that they already have the NFT component going for them? Um, I wasn't focusing on who was already there because I felt like it was more important bringing people who aren't there, especially people that look like myself. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion and, and my perspective on it. I think that's fair. I do think it would be really interesting for you to have a look because what's wonderful about the Tezos ecosystem is that the diversity is very rich because because you know of the way that the technology is designed there's a low barrier to entry meaning anyone can participate anyone can showcase their art and so and that that's what was so appealing to me honestly the low barrier entry was super appealing and just being you know diverse as possible and not just sticking with ethereum not just sticking with these certain blockchains but extending you know the realm of everything so in terms of your other Web3 endeavors, like what are the other things that excite you and have caught your eye? What has caught my eye with what? With Web3, blockchain, like the, the industry at large, like this entire space. Ownership. Period. Get to own what you're putting out. That's dope. And it's transparent. 
So I also know that you spent quite a lot of time in Singapore and Asia more broadly. What is it about this region that excites you the most? And like, what, what are you working on? Singapore is the future. Asia is the future. That's what it's about. Going to new regions and not just focusing on America. Mm-hmm. Like I said, bringing my people and being a bridge. That's what it's about. I want to be a bridge. It's not about me. It's about helping others and extending resources. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to go down as and be remembered as. So I know I helped a lot of people. I know you were most recently in Singapore for Token 2049. What were some of the things that you were actually? No, I was there. I was there for my stuff. I was there for the Champ DC Lounge and World Champ events that I do, where I bring diverse creators in a room. Tezos is a partner of that as well, and you know, creators come on the panel and get to talk to you know founders and VC. Um, companies and stuff like that and everybody's in the room and everybody's networking that's what I went out there for mm-hmm. and what were some of the main learnings that you got out of your most recent trip that it's not going to happen overnight you got to keep showing up people want to see consistency and the more I show up the more I feel like they gravitate towards me and these relationships can get you know I think stronger over time and so I have one final question for you before you head out, which is what do you have planned next? What's, you know, what's exciting you would like to share with our audience? Uh, I think just being with Russell and just taking it slow, uh, taking it slow in life, enjoying my kids reading books to my daughter mm-hmm. you know stuff like that and if you could give if you could give one piece of advice to someone who's also trying to get involved into this space but don't really know where to start what would you tell them do the research and go on youtube so you can learn everything and ask questions ask a lot of questions don't be afraid to fail either or to get rejected that's what it's about Great. Well, Cham, thank you so much for your time. It was amazing to learn about what you're up to. And I think it's very inspiring to watch someone use the platform that they have to uplift other artists. Uh, We're going to have a very close eye on the development of the fund. So until that all kicks off, you will speak again. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Salute. Shout out to Tezos for doing all this. Thank you. Thank you.